Hi, I'm Victoria Legrand, and this is the LSQ Podcast. Hey, it's Jenny Ellisview. Thanks so much for joining me for the first episode of a new season of the LSQ Podcast. Season four begins with one of my dream guests, the wonderful Victoria Legrand from Beach House. Honestly, ever since I started this show back in 2017, I hoped for a chance to really go deep with Victoria to talk about her early encounters with music and creativity and how her songwriting practice has evolved over the years since. And we discuss those things and more. Did someone say Phantom of the Opera in this upcoming conversation? Uh, welcome, Victoria Legrand, to the LSQ podcast. Hi. Hello, my dear. It's so good to see you in this, even though it's weird to be looking at my computer. But here we are. You're such a lovely human being to look Aww, at. Aw, thank you. <laughs> you too. I'm excited, as I was saying before we started rolling, just to this is our first chance, although we've had brief one-on-one interviews like at a festival or I remember a Coachella backstage Mm -hmm. moment with you when Prince passed away and we had a little hand-holding moment that was gorgeous. But I've always wanted to get to ask you about, like, you know, all of the stuff before Beach House and, you know, all of the different kind of exciting creative moments that you've had in your life that have been pivot points um, for the the stuff that you do now creatively. So for starters, when do you first remember feeling like a creative urge? I think when I was a kid, and I don't even think I knew what was happening. I think just being a kid and probably like when I was in Paris and my dad was playing records. And, you know, I only remember this because I've seen photographs because I don't have any memory, but I definitely think that's where it started, um, him playing rock records and probably Bowie and just like E.T. soundtrack. I don't I don't even know exactly wh- what it was being played, but I think that's where it started because he was a painter. My mom was in medical school. She had been a model. I think there was a certain element of like glamour and rock and some bohemia I think that's, I believe that's where the seed started, but the first moment, probably maybe I was six or seven and I started uh, performing nightly in the kitchen on the farm that we lived in. Um, I did nightly performances of the Phantom of the Opera dressed in full costume. Every night? (laughs) Every night. Every night. So I don't know if that's creativity, Yeah, but it's something and... I was always drawing before that. So there there was a mixture of drawing um, and performance and uh What was animals. it about Phantom of the Opera? Like, how did you experience Phantom of the Opera? And, and what, what do you think attracted you to it so much? I think one of my first loves probably was Zorro because I was about, I don't know, maybe like four years old, three or four, watching it on TV in Paris. It was like every Friday night I would have spaghetti and watch Zorro and I wasn't allowed to watch Davy Crockett which came on after Zorro but I loved the masked man I from like a beyond early age so I think the phantom was this masked mysterious creature that I continued to be enamored with um in a creative way I don't you know you can't say what children cuz they're just in their own psychedelic natural propulsion but um but you heard the album of the phantom of the opera you didn't see it or anything did you i never saw it i mean i saw it you know years ago like as an adult but i never saw it as a kid um so i never had the like satisfaction of fully realizing the fandom but but not like the i wouldn't do the entire phantom of the opera the musical i did certain numbers but i would listen to the tape obsessively and I also listened to Tchaikovsky and I listened to um, a lot of classical music because it was just laying around we all you know it was all cassette tapes because it was the 80s um, so yeah it was all the 80s stuff but there was also classical and there were musicals and I, that, that's where I think a lot of creativity started for me and I know that's not I didn't make anything but I think that's where my wheels began yeah and would you I mean were you dramatic about it were you did you yeah. I mean, I found a photograph two days ago that my mother had of me holding a candle standing in front of an organ with a mask on, a cape, and a hat, 
and I'm definitely dramatic. You do come from sort of a musical family, don't you? There's there you have musical relatives. Tell me a little about that. Well, my uh, now deceased, I would say not estranged, but far removed uncle Michelle passed away. I think it was two years ago, and that was my father's eldest brother, um, and he was like a, a musical beast. Um, but I never had a relationship with him. Um, and my father was musical and, uh, it's, it's in the Legrands genetically, I guess. But, um, that's the only place I can sort of trace it back to is the French side of the family. How, how old were you when you left Paris and moved to, to Philadelphia? Um, I was five and we moved to Baltimore actually. Oh, Okay. Um, and we lived there for a couple months and then moved to a farm further north, um, still in Maryland. And I lived there for about six years. And then when I got to middle school age, the best age ever, <laughs> the worst age ever, the best worst. Uh, that, then we moved to Philadelphia. So that's when I went from Paris to the country to the suburbs. So it's like a whole kind of range of places to, to live, um, yeah. Yeah. Did did those moves affect kind of what what music and, and kind of arts stuff you were exposed to, or how or how you experience them? Oh yeah, big time. I mean, everything. Not you know, music, um, the surroundings that I was exposed to. You know, from you know, Paris, which I don't remember exactly. I have all these abstract memories of staircases and yelling down the stairs and wallpaper with writing all over it and there's a tininess to that right and then the farm which is this giant natural surrounding that still has a huge impact on me on a daily basis it's like I it's one of my probably like most it's probably one of my dearest surroundings that I keep close to my heart um and then the suburbs which was just cruel um cool and cruel but it all it all affected everything affected me um as it does everybody um and obviously when I moved to the suburbs and was a middle schooler that's when I got more into like cool music right. not just the weird child music where you're dancing with family of the opera and thriller and randomly like Janie's got a gun because it's your parents music laying around and guns and roses also as a child but it you know you start to get more into your like Oasis, whole, you know, uh, R5 music stuff in Philadelphia. You start to get more into like the punk scenes and, you know, modernity and cool kid stuff. Were, were there any older kids or I don't know if you have siblings or anything, but were there other kids or older people who kind of introduced you to music at all? Or were you just digging around looking for it? I feel like I had a tough time keeping or having friends <laughs> like I feel like I was alone a lot I feel like even as a kid I have a brother but I my memories are always like playing alone for long periods of time and, and not having like parental supervision either like I it, it wasn't the helicopter parenting of of today you know my parents were good parents my mother and my stepfather but they didn't hover over me you know, so I was always able, I could like run down to the pond and into the forest and be, probably be there for like two hours. They didn't think anything was going to happen to me. And I don't know if that's irresponsible, but I just remember being alone a lot. And then middle school is the same thing. It's like I had such a hard time. I wasn't popular. I didn't, I didn't like boys. I like never liked, <laughs> I didn't fit into anything, you know, like the popular girls with their cool sweatshirts and their spandex shorts and their aerobic socks and their perfect hair. It just all didn't make any sense to me. So I kind of was just on a, like a little weird journey where, you know, I found my own stuff somehow. Um, but I'd have a friend there here and there, like some weird girl that would take me into her condominium and smoke cigarettes and like, we'd listen to music and do bad things. But did did music feel or 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 other things you were consuming feel like um an escape from from what sounds like was sometimes you were you were lonely I think that seems to be the common thread <laughs> um yes i think music 
was and always has been a friend for sure right like so 100%. obviously you were drawn to what in the phantom of the opera soundtrack and you were drawn to hole and oasis and stuff but but was would you identify that as music that really did push the buttons inside you that that the biggest music in your life has pushed or what were, what were the artists when you really started to feel yourself connecting with your own musical your own musicality what were the artists that you feel like brought that out and and when did you start to to be musical if i have to if i really force myself to concentrate which is hard <laughs> <laughs> um takes like an immense energy for my brain um it would probably be after high school probably when I was in college and I was getting into like electro and like um not bikini kill but what was the Latigra La right so I remember being super super into Oda bedroom dancing and um Yola Tango was in there and uh it was like I guess I was 18 19 years old and I was now being exposed to more creative artists, um, bedroom music. Uh, but I didn't think of it like that at the time. I just liked it. I thought, what was this creative, awesome music that I, you know, I had all these different sounds and there was lo-fi and, you know, um, that I found really inspiring and I had my keyboard and I've always been a piano player, but I never really wrote anything I mean, I did write stuff, but I didn't make a big deal out about it. I didn't go, I need to finish this. I just doodled. But it was that around then when those types of bands, you know, hearing it on college radio and stuff like that, that started to make me go, I think I could do this on my own. Like, I, I, I can do this because I have this Yamaha keyboard right here and I'm going to write songs and I'm going to have beats. And I think that's when it really started where I was like songwriting. Because it didn't really happen in high school. You know, being in bands and singing with bands and being asked to sing and being in choir and all that, that's just molding you to like maybe collaborating or being in ensembles and the joy of making sound with other people. But that's different for me than like the moment where you, like you're asking me, the moment where you go, I'm going to try, I'm going to do this. Yeah. I'm going to try to make a song. I'm going to make some words. And I think I still have some and recordings of uh one of the first things i ever wrote which was just like this it was you know a keyboard and the drum beat on the keyboard and i wrote this like stream of consciousness poem and i remember the feeling after i wrote it i was like what the hell just happened <laughs> would if i mean like if i heard that or or someone who's familiar with your music now heard that would it does it sound like you i mean can, would we be able to hear sort of what what you have collaboratively developed into i don't know i mean you'd you'd go oh that's a younger victoria right and i think the fact that it's a keyboard and a drum beat and then maybe the stream of consciousness but i don't know if you would go beach house you know because beach house is alex and i and it's this fusion of the two our two trajectories and a lot of like experimenting and textures and you know tons of t different types of keyboards and guitars which I wasn't playing guitar I was just playing keyboard so I don't know if you would go beach house but you would go oh there's a, a mind that is a writer you know who's writing and the lyrics are kind of interesting and abstract and um, yeah I, I can't remember I think the first line was like quiet on the west coast is not the sound I hear inside my head or something it's just like a really um, but I don't remember the rest. I used to have it memorized. Once you started doing that and you and you got that feeling of you're like, ooh, I did it and I think I like this song. Did, were you, did you become obsessed with it? I mean, how, how what, yeah, did it replace sort of other activities? Um, I think I did become really excited and the, and then I started, I think pretty soon after I was like, okay, I think I want to be with someone else. And so I asked this girlfriend of mine who didn't play any instruments at all. She was just this really interesting, unique girl who wore a bun every day and was into like art history. <laughs> Sounds vibey. And had like a mustache kind of. Um, and I said, do you want to play a show? And she was like, sure. 
And I don't remember, because this is so long ago now, but I don't remember if she just tried to like learn something, an instrument really soon. But I think, I think she then asked her friend Lindsay to play the cello. And so we played like a show. It was, I don't know, it was probably 10 minutes long. And probably it was experimental music with me with some stuff. So that was my, I think from songwriting to wanting to, you know, uh, translate it to an uh, energetic standpoint. I think that was something I felt pretty, pretty, pretty quickly. And I think that's when it started because after college, when I went to France and then I got bored with um, theater school and just theater in general, um, that's when it started coming back again, where I was like, I want to do music again and I want to be with a band again. I want to be, I want that feeling again. When you were going to theater school, was it, uh, you know, because it's, it's interesting, it sounds like, you know, we sort of glossed over at this point, the, you mentioned choir and some other, like, you know, playing piano through all of those years, and then you went to theater school, so clearly you were planning on applying those crafts as potentially a vocation, but it feels to me like you're saying that that was a separate thing, that was more like, a, oh yeah, I could do this, I'm a, I could be a theater person, I guess I'll do that as my vocation and that making music is a different energy pocket completely. Mm -hmm. Like it was because I thought I was going to, I thought I was going to be, there was a point in my life where I was like, I want to be an actor, but I didn't really want to be an actor. It was, it was weird. It was like, I thought that's what I wanted, but what I actually liked about acting in theater was the being with other people. And then I loved text you know I, I loved Beckett there were a lot of playwrights that I loved um and I loved the costumes and I loved the process and I got really excited about rehearsals and performances so it was it took me a, lo- a long time it took me till my senior year after to realize that I didn't I didn't have what it took to be like a glamour shot person you know like I didn't I wouldn't fit into something and it just, I think the wheels of like, you're going to have to figure something out. Like you're going to have to figure something. It's going to be really hard to find this, but you're going to have to make it on your, you're gonna have to make it on your own because I didn't college, you know, costs a lot of money. And then you come out of it. You don't have a job. I know I didn't, wasn't going to get an internship. You know, I needed money. I didn't have any money. So it was like, luckily the theater school, um, with help from my beautiful mother, um, costs way less than a year of college. And so she helped me with that. But, you know, I didn't think, yeah, the music was this very personal thing. Um, it was like this little thing and it became, I would go down to the basement in the dorm that I lived in in Paris and would play the piano by myself. And that became where I thought, you know, F it, I'm going to just go back to trying to write songs again because I love this more and it's still as unclear as becoming an actor but I just love it more so I just chose two uncertain paths I chose the one that I loved more yeah you know, they were both going to be risks but one would have required either moving to Brooklyn or New York or Los Angeles to start a CD career <laughs> <laughs> of being a bag lady on Law and Order um <laughs> And then the other one was also really weird and involved me uh, going to Baltimore where um, this music buddy of mine from college would, we would continue, we would start playing music together, continue kind of what we had done in college. And then he would introduce me to Alex within a matter of months. And then literally less than a year later, Beach House began. So when I plunged off the diving board it started pretty quickly would you say that your songwriting evolved or changed much during that interval of time from between when you started and when you began working with alex like what were some key kind of discoveries or 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 changes in the way you were approaching it um i think there was like a rage there were if i look back at like the stupid things i wrote um there was like a dreamy there was a romantic world there were poetic kind of piano musings and then there was this rage anger kind of like courtney love meets like electro pop monster character 
and you know and then in between there were like drum beats and you know you could probably hear like um la tigra in that in those like there's no real recordings of that college stuff but um well there are but they're not um they're not official and when i find them on the internet i'm like cease and desist yeah you're like get uh, that out of there (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so there's there's a lot of little angles in there um and I, so, yeah, it definitely changed. And I think when it was 2004, I think I was still um, in that kind of upbeat, like almost dance music, keyboard, guitar, bass, really noisy, kind of thrashy. Like played a few shows in Baltimore at the beloved Talking Head, like maybe one or two. And they were just these like train wreck things. You know, everyone was so wasted and it... Um, there was a community of like people that like Baltimore club and spank rock was part of that world. And there were a lot of really cool, um, interesting people in the dance music electronic thing. So it was, we were, I was mildly on the cusp of this kind of dance world, but then it it lasted only a matter of months. Um, just from, you know, fate, destiny combination. Yeah. Um, and Alex's in Alex's entrance into my life, definitely changed me and the confluence of our other tastes maybe like less dance stuff and more like old rock uh folk um psychedelia 90s stuff that wasn't you know uh the cooler side of the 90s where it's more um you know like spiritualized or spaceman spaceman three the psychedelic version of the 90s the electronic psychedelic yeah, my, bloody, um, my bloody valentine kind of yeah vibe. porter's head um all that stuff did you get did you guys talk like you know in the earliest conversations when i'm i'm guessing that right away you there was a you know i mean chemistry works that way where you know it's kind of instant and you're like oh shit but um before you have trust in the chemistry and you're just curious if it's there did you and alex like get into kind of what kind of music do we want to make together or did you just go on instinct so the first thing that the first moment i remember this the first moment when alex and i we were in the basement of the row home that i lived in and we were having a rehearsal not for beach house for the other project um that he'd been brought into as a bass player and we were doing a cover of elo and i'm blanking on the title right now but I began working with Alex on figuring out how to arrange it so that we could do it our way. And that was the moment I was like, this guy is so, it's so easy to figure this out with him. Like he's really, uh, he's guiding and he's not like, it was just a really um, pleasant experience. And, you know, I would pick things up really easily. And, you know, he had a way of talking about music that I didn't have. Like I'm not, even though I studied music most of my life, I'm not a th- I'm not a musician's musician. Like I'm not a. I'll sit down at the piano and let me play you this song. I'm a. I can read music, but I'm not like a theory nerd. I'm not a theory buff. And he's really good at all of that in music. He's to me a musician's musician. Um, among other things, like he's really good at production and he's just, you know, a well-rounded person and. Uh, that's when it started. I was like, I can work with this person. Um, and then we just were friends and we would hang out and then we would like, you know, get drunk together and we had mutual friends and it was hot and, you know, we'd go back to his apartment. And then that was when we wrote Saltwater, which was the first song we wrote together. And it was at night. It was probably like one in the morning. I don't even remember, but he had a four track and I'd never had a four track. I had had tape players. I had recorded stuff into like those, you know, you do an interview and you press record and play and like, that's what, how I had recorded music even in college. Um, but he had grown up with a four track in his childhood. So that's where our two worlds started um, melting together because that's he and he had organs like an actual seventies family organ and uh, I just had my electronic, my old Yamaha from like high school that I brought to college. And I also found the white keyboard that I did the first 
it's on every album. We always get it on every album, but the first two records have a lot of the white Yamaha. So when we got the white Yamaha, the four track, Alex's organs, the acoustic, well, my acoustic guitar that was like House on the Hill. And then his, you know, he, he started playing electric guitar because we needed, we wanted electric guitar. He's a trained bass player. So it's like he started revamping electric guitar just so that we could continue writing. Um, so that's, I know I'm, I'm blabbering, but that's sort of how quickly it started happening. Wow. So like after Saltwater, then yeah, it did it just, it just sounds like it just started to have momentum where you're just like, we're doing this now. This is all we do. I think it was Saltwater and then it was House on the Hill. Um, and they all happened within like, I lived on one block and then he lived on the other block behind me and down the street. And he'd like come up the back porch of my apartment. And then, you know, I'd be like playing House on the Hill with two keyboards and my one Behringer amp. And then he would pick up, he picked up the acoustic guitar and then started playing the little da 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 da, you know, that arpeggiated thing. And it, they, it happened really fast. It just that that first album really came together very, very quickly. And so is the sort of the way that you guys work together nowadays, is it still kind of the same uh, same practice or the same same methods of, of combining what, what maybe you're working on separately? And do you do separate work from each other? We do, but it's just it's gotten it's the same. The core is the same, but I can't say it's the same either because I feel like the laboratory is so much bigger <laughs> it's crazy we have so many um different types of keyboards and bass pedals and and gear and like cool you know like we're not like vintage gearheads by the way we we have a lot of crap like it's not we don't have like an incredible collection of like valuable amps we appreciate all that stuff but that you know when we started making music we used what was around us you know we used what just happened to be there literally that was like a gift from the universe it's like i have a four track oh there's an organ oh you have this keyboard i mean it was literally just sitting there um so the biggest change for me is the amount of 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 like paints and colors and textures and like the studio's gotten bigger you know the metaphorical studio's gotten a lot bigger so when we write it is different like We'll still both create things, but when we come together, what has happened is feels like currently, you know, we've been working since last year on music and we were already working on new music um, before the pandemic started and the pandemic just kind of was like, well, we were already working, so... We're going to keep working and we're currently now we're going to keep working and we don't know when we're going to stop working, but it, it's just gotten, you know, cinematic is a word that I feel like has been used quite often when people describe our music. And I really believe that I'll never not like that as a description because that's exactly how I see music and music. I love still to this day makes me feel like I'm inside of something. I'm escaping something, but I'm also dealing with something. I'm in a movie scene. I'm looking in the mirror. I just feel like we definitely have changed. I just don't know exactly how. So if, if that, if, if having access to more colors for the palette is kind of the biggest change, what, what about it has stayed the most the same? And, and I guess I ask that as a way of, of asking about when you're looking for emotional content for the songs is that what's that process like you know how the the work you need to do kind of truly on your own uh for songs what does that look like one example will be alex will have written something like a part of something right it's not a fully finished or realized song it's a part it's like a an arm and the torso or something. And then I'll walk into the room and I'll hear it. Or he'll be like, I want you to, I want you to hear something. And I'll immediately get a really intense feeling. Like I see something immediately. I see, I see something. I feel something immediately. And then I'll just start making sounds. 
and it's it's that's something that we had from the beginning like he would either respond immediately to something coming out of my mouth or my fingers or vice versa and that is that is still the same it's like a magic it's like something magical happening um and i believe in that there's love but it's not just it's not like just love between us or between it's like the whole universe around us and all the things we've been reading about the stars and the movies that have been watched and and the pain that i've felt from talking to people about their loss and it's just all kind of goes like sucks down into this one moment of pure reaction and i've always said that music is very personal to alex and i but it's not just like i got my heart broken by this guy or this girl it's like i got my heart broken by the whole world or you know what i mean or all the things i ever heard about somebody's heartbreak this is now it's in me somehow it's like this stain and it's coming out because i hear these tones and these chords and these notes that make me feel like crying or they make me feel like completely euphoric so that that is the thing that hasn't changed but i think that it's become amplified and that is why i don't think we're done making records because if that ever stopped if that really like innocent reaction where all of the angst and all of the sorrow and beauty didn't just get triggered into something beautiful or or something that t- takes us out of you know the news or the car crash or whatever then we would stop i always said that but it's not stopping so and and a lo- so what you're describing involves a lot of of trusting instinct and trusting feelings as a starting point but obviously you know you guys are very detail oriented about the music that you put out there as well um it must be it must have been a developing process to figure out where to where the editing to do afterward without over editing or like how to know when you're getting too far away from the feeling versus you know not doing enough edit or or whatever is that something i that you've adapted um you know over the course of of beach house's catalog being more doing more or less editing on the original feeling 100% i think that is the like in all artist trajectories like sculptors painters singers musicians ballet dancers there the longer you do something the more um deft you become hopefully you know at it so you um you're just your language becomes really like subliminal um and and instinctual and you know th- that's not the right sound or that's not the right volume or i need this this rhythm now it's not quickening my pulse um and you you kind of get to you feel like what is not working and what is working really suddenly um so i definitely think that has gotten more developed 100% and in my own creative process as what i consider myself uh, if i sit back and have that perspective which i don't have often um cuz i'm really probably stubbornly like an in the moment person i think day to day i mean i think i like plans and stuff but i really it's just the way i've always been um it's like day to day yeah so it's i think i'm like the editor you know like i i from the second we start working on a body of music and i don't know how large it'll grow or how small it'll be or how you know how expansive it'll be i've always had visualizations with everything and i see things like almost like a movie director or something and down to the album art so that's something i always goes hand in hand so i take everything into consideration all at once constantly even working on songs i just see all of these like filaments and their connections and um i really like being almost like the stylist or editor or i don't know what it is like the the painter of the of the story do you have any like visual method like or do you make note cards or do you take down lots of notes or jot down phrase or what sort of the method of of visualizing and and uh, keeping track of what of what your goals are so when working on music songs um anything there's just if there's paper around it's just written all over i have uh journals that are 
look like a like Russell Crowe in a beautiful mind like just it's like there's like equations and I'm just joking but uh, it, it they're they're packed they're full of like loose paper and um like giant messy hamburgers um so yeah there's there's lots of writing that goes on and um and then you know I'll, Alex helps me a lot too you know because that's the point of partnerships like if I'm lost he's helping me if he's lost I'm helping him so you know we've been probably like writing more together too on like lyrics and stuff like it's it's only natural um especially during a time where you're just two people and you see each other the most of any human being on earth but yeah so there's a lot of writing a lot of a lot of uh I'll do drawings I'll do drawings of of uh things I see like you know if I see some character they might appear in a set design at some point I'll think about that stuff too so like in writing songs I'll see I'll have like light ideas but just abstractly I mean Alex has light ideas too I just sort of start the like how kind of... early do you how early in a process and like an album process do, do you start to see that stuff pretty clearly and like for for this you know whatever is in the works now do, can you already kind of see what's down the you know what it'll look like or the, the kinds of things you're describing it only takes like one or two songs for that to happen especially if the, if there's like a magic inside of it um and so, not all so not all songs do that because not all, all songs tell different stories and and by story i mean they have like different size arcs you know like some songs will be like more and I'm not talking about stuff we're working on. No, I'm just just in all of our songwriting. Some songs would feel a little bit more one, one dimensional and other songs will feel, you know, if like if you compare something from maybe the first or second album to maybe Bloom or um, Seven, you know, like there's a scope of of size um, of story, of place you enter, of world you enter, of your environment while you're listening to the song. And, um, so yeah, if, if a song in my mind reaches a certain size of world, then I start immediately seeing stuff. So do you, are you listening to music much when you're, you know, are you a big consumer of music or, or is it, or do you have to sort of reserve that opening that portal for, cause it sounds like you, you can feel music pretty intensely and maybe you can't have it on all the time. I can't have it on all the time. Um, I was just talking about this the other night with uh, my stepfather, actually, because he was he was feeling bad about not being able to listen to music for more than 45 minutes to an hour. And I said, you know, if you're listening to an album, it's okay to not it's okay to not listen to music for six to eight hours. Like, who's expecting you to do that? Streaming is is great because you can find all these new artists and and you can find now it's getting better. You can find more hard to find artists but there's still a lot that it doesn't have but by no means do I believe that I just want to have music all the time it's not like um an appliance you know I don't want it on all the time but it when I'm not in the album like realm where it, I'm completely inside of it with Alex and we're grabbing onto this and grabbing onto that and fixing this and making this better I'm not listening to as much but when I'm not in that cycle like when I've gotten home from tour and there's about a couple months of a break where I'm just doing my you know my private studio where I'm dealing with clothes and dreaming about painting and all that I'll listen to lots of music and it'll just be constant and it's almost like it's it's going into my brain. It's feeding my brain. It's stimulating me in really abstract ways. I'm almost like storing up ideas, but not intentionally going. I'm storing it up. It's just like feeding my it's feeding my creativity. It's like a sponge. And um, when I'm writing on a song, I don't I don't really listen to a lot. But I'm I've gotten better at that though. I'm able to just listen to anything at any point, and it doesn't piss me off or distract me from what Beach House is working on you know because I don't want to become narrow-minded as an older you know as I get older I want to be open to what's going on even if it's crazy and I don't agree with it 
music, you know what I mean? Like musically, if I don't get it, I still want to listen to it because I still want to understand how music is evolving, you know? Um, and there's a lot of cool stuff happening. You know, like I really like Miguel's new song, um, Funeral. I thought that was a really fun, you know, there's a lot of popular stuff that is good. Um, and it's always been the same. There's always crappy, annoying music and there's always great stuff and it's never going to change. Um, so, yeah, I always, you know, I feel like now more, you know, if, you know, if you come from sort of the, the, the indie world or whatever, there's always been a pressure to be versed in familiar with vaguely familiar, at least, uh, with everything that everyone's talking about. And then during the streaming era, that's, that's translated to anyone who claims to be serious about music. You, you have to be like, yeah, I've heard, I've listened to the new you know, all the pop albums, all the tastemaker albums, all the, you know, which, which is unrealistic, uh, to ask of people, unless your job is to be, you know, you're writing for stereo gum or something and you have to listen to everything. I mean, I'm actually, I listen to way less music than one might imagine, given how much music I like have to interact with when I'm choosing what to play and putting on an album. Similarly to watching Seinfeld reruns, you know, and just taking comfort from like, it's like, I will listen to the same album a hundred times in a year if it's, if I really loved it at the, to the exclusion of other stuff. I just, it's like, I just want to hear it becomes like a mantra, like the songs become like a mantra. And I'm just like, I need to just listen to that again until I one day reach a point where I'm like, okay, I, I'm saturated in it. I need to move on. (laughs) But yeah. That relationship with songs you love, I also feel similarly. I, I don't. It's it's not like an athletic event. I'm not like, hey, I I know about this and this and this. Like I kind of just know about what I know and what I like. And every once in a while, I check out new artists, and I'm like, hmm, that's cool. Or I don't like that. It's not a competition for me. I'm not trying to prove to anybody that I'm some kind of. You know what I mean? It's so you know. In my Spotify, there's I have my liked songs, and I'll honestly listen to those like over and over and over again, and I love them, and I cherish them, and then I share them with other people, and I, you know, and so it's not that complicated. It's not a big deal. It's like, who am I trying to impress? (laughs) Yeah, no, it's like I've I've sort of accepted that I can love an album that I've only listened to once, um, and also love an album I've listened to a hundred times, but, um. You know, it's not the same. It's not the same thing. You know, like I, I don't need to listen to an album a hundred times to be like, yeah, I loved it. I loved the new Taylor Swift album. I loved it, but I listened to it one and a half times, and I don't feel called to to it the way that I feel called to, uh, you know, the Run the Jewels album. You know, just limiting myself to this year, the Run the Jewels album or the Tame Impala album, where I'm just like, it ended. Let's start it again. You know, and I feel that's like to me the ultimate is when you're just like. You're just like, I need to hear, I need, nope, I just need to hear that album again. Do Isn't you... that amazing? That, that, that it's, I find that amazing that there are albums that make one want to put them on over and over again. And then there are albums that you don't want to do that to. And it's not like, it's just, I just, I know that sounds like a stoned realization, like, okay, Victoria, what are you talking about? But it's true. It's like, they're just albums that every individual person has these relationships with them. And I definitely have, there's a few in, in this household that are just played all the time. And it's not because they're like influencing our next record. It's because they make life better. You know, they make daily life more beautiful. They make nighttime feel beautiful. They make eating breakfast alone feel beautiful. They make trying not to think about mortality a little bit more graceful you know that's the power of music is that it for every single person it's different and it doesn't have to be one particular thing and not everybody has to like the same stuff and definitely people don't have to like beach house because i know a lot of people don't and it's fine because that's not why we got into it we got into it because we enjoyed making music together and it just happened and then we made these little songs that we loved and then that's it and i don't i just feel like we've been really lucky and I'd say that all the time, but it's just a lucky thing to find another person that can make your dreams come true. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and also to find someone when you're relatively early in 
in uh, working with collaborators. And then it's sort of just like, well, why, like, now you know what it is, what a good collaborator is. It's like if you reach a point where you don't feel like Beach House has new stuff to say right now or you guys want to pause from it and do separate endeavors, like, you know what sort of like listening to the same album you love every day for me to go back to that point it sets a a baseline it's like no matter if i listen to it often enough in enough different situations i know what good music feels like to me and so wherever i go i'm just like it didn't feel the same as listening to blood on the tracks though <laughs> have you noticed to be being more sensitive this year like the last six months to music because i noticed something that happened in april specifically it was about april or may and I'd have dinner and then I'd put on a record and I would just cry. I would just like be so sensitive to music in a way that had it hadn't been. I mean, it's I've always been sensitive, but this was different. This was because I hadn't seen anybody and been anywhere. And it was it started becoming everything. It was the moment. It was the movie to watch. It was the place to go. It was the place to travel to. And I just noticed that feeling. Did you did you experience anything like that this year? Like just you'd hear your song that you love, but it just made you feel almost too much or something. I mean, I feel like everything has felt like almost too much um, since March. Um, but I don't know. I actually think maybe kind of the opposite, just that like listening to the albums that have always made me feel sad but better or something. It's like a grounding thing. It's like a smell or you're like olfactory kind of vibe where where it's like if I listen to an album I've listened to a hundred times, it reminds me that every nothing changes while everything changes, you know? That's, you just said it. You just said it, the thing I've been probably trying to say for 15 years, <laughs> which is the olfactory and what you just said, all those words, that <laughs> is everything to me. <laughs> That's the That combined with longing, you know, and in, and in the sense of loss, which I think there are two... Uh, creative forces that have not I think that have been in me since a kid to now you know and I think everybody has different varying degrees of that but longing and loss there's something about those two in life and and music in that it, it's the it's the it's the blanket and the liquid of all the question marks because they're not answering you. It's not an answer. You know, when you when you like feel something and you go, I want to hear the song now. Is it? It's not answering you, right? It, or it's it's like it's helping you somehow. And so, longing and loss have both spurned me towards something, but also they keep the cycle of it. You know, and everything in between, the pain and the beauty in between all that is what is is tied to to art, all art and music for me. I don't know. That song Lorelei by Cocteau Twins is to me a really good example of a, it immediately hits me and it feels like my youth and my present <laughs> and my unknown future. But it but it lies heavily. It's like it does this thing with time. And I think the longing and loss thing is it's, it's also tied to a time. It's like a time warp where you're you're longing for something, you're longing for a feeling, you don't know what it is, but you remember having it when you heard something, and, and then you go back to it, but you never get it. So it keeps you going back and back and back and back and back. And I think maybe that's why I keep going back to those songs that we, you know, we keep going back to those songs that we love, and why those songs keep us alive, because they never stop um, reminding us that even though there is mortality, we don't have every, you know, we don't have everything forever. Um, those moments somehow seem to just keep, they, they, they always happen. Um, and I think that's why I feel lucky that music is part of my life because it, and, you know, part of all of our lives, because it, it seems to just, it's like hope. It's like every time somebody puts something out, it doesn't matter what it is. It's like somebody made something, you know, and they want to just, and if you don't see it as just like, oh, they just can't get enough of themselves. They just always need to be putting out a record. But it's not, you know, if you see really give them the benefit of the doubt, it's because they want, they had something and they thought that maybe somebody else would, would relate to it. So it's this human connection thing, which I just I think that's all we, you know, we live for that. Right? <laughs> no, it's, it's crazy that you could get something that's as precious as like a song I would listen to like a thousand times that it like 
you know, it's a thing you can be uh, um, never endingly grateful for, you know, it's just like, man, how would my life be different if, you know, I didn't have blood on the tracks, you know? Right, right. It's like every time you see, you know, for me, it's some flower, you know, every time I see a peony or some kind of, uh, what's another flower that I'll just see and I'm always delighted by it. It doesn't even have to be something super special. It's just like growing on the sidewalk, you know? Common daisy, right? The common daisy. But every time you see it, it brings you this delight, you know? So God bless art. (laughs) God bless it. That and nature are the two things that have kept me going this year. (laughs) When you're, you mentioned painting, is that, is that something that you do pretty, is that a regular hobby outlet? I'd like it to become more of one, but I'm more of a um, appreciator. I mean, it runs in my family. I have my grandma's paintings in my house and my dad's stuff, but I'm, I'm very inspired by it, but it's just, it could be anybody. And I like to go to the Baltimore museum of art every once in a while. And I just walk through and, you know, the cone collection is like one of those great collections in the world. And I just go through it and, you know, Matisse is an extremely famous painter. Well known. It's not going to blow any art dealers minds at me talking about this, but um, you know, it's just seeing, those colors and the innocence of of gesture and and um it just it just bathes it bathes me and um and i love when i learn about a new great artist not one of the famous people but just they were alive at the same time as picasso but they didn't they didn't get picasso <laughs> they didn't, didn't become picasso they were schmacasso <laughs> but they were as good <laughs> That's kind of a Seinfeld, isn't it? It is. Well, um, I like the Schmacassos just as much as the Picassos. <laughs> I think Schmacasso is a good note for us to is a good note for us to end on. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could go on and on, and you know, we could get a wine bottle and all that. But I, I just, I don't think I'm ever. I just, you know, I just ramble. I guess I'm a rambling, rambling woman. I, you, you bring it out. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And thank you again so much for making my podcast dreams come true. Um, I love her, if you couldn't tell. Thanks again, Victoria Legrand, for that awesome conversation and, you know, for being the best. There's a new episode of LSQ in a few weeks with Fleet Fox's Robin Pecknold. Excited to share that one. And thank you for listening, especially, you know, if you're still listening right now, I appreciate you going the distance. You can reach me with questions and feedback on Twitter at Jenny LSQ. I'll talk to you next time.